so um, this word on today, Amen. I hope that it is. Um, I hope that it is what you need, Amen. And we all know that we've been doing this this series in terms of distress, and we almost to the end of the alphabet. We going letter by letter, and God, and we're doing a, a, a word study series. So God gives us a word, and you know He t- He's been teaching us how to how to how to manage. Stress and trials and tribulations and adversity. Um, you know, whether we are just trying to be present, like Brother Marcus said, and just show up for people even when they don't show up, but just to show up for people, or whether it's, um, you know, realizing that God is the remedy or not not falling for illusions or tricks or gimmicks. All of these are our words that God has given us. Um, this year. And so on this Sunday, God has given me the word systematic. And so I want to use this word in the medical sense. So when you look this word up in the medical field, systematic means that it's something that's affecting the whole body, right? The whole body or at least multiple organ systems. So it's like if something is, if it's, if a disease is systematic, not only will it get your lungs, it's going to get your liver, it's going to get your kidneys, it's going to get all the systems in your body. It's just running through your whole body. Amen. In contrast to something that's topical or local, it's just concentrated in one spot in your body. Right? So when something is systematic, it's something that can't be isolated. And so on this Sunday, God is, he, he, as I was preparing this, the thing that I want to talk about today is sin. And that's why I read Romans 6 and 23. Sin is a systematic problem. It just doesn't affect one area of your life. It attacks every area of your life. It attacks your physical health. It attacks your marriage. It attacks your children. It attacks your brothers and sisters. It attacks your finances. It attacks everything in your life, and you just can't isolate it. You might think, well, if I just deal with this sin in my marriage, then everything else is like, it's not going to just stay right there. It's going to bounce over to your children. And then when you attack it in that area, it's going to bounce over to your parents. Or then if maybe all of those people are doing all right, then it bounces over to your body and attacks your health. Right? And, and I start thinking about this. And when I hear y'all, when I say it attacks every area of your life, I mean every area. And so I, as I was preparing, I thought about this, this simple example. And y'all might say, now, Pastor, you just, you just running out. But the simple, exa- the simple example that I have is something as simple as not having milk for cereal is because of sin. <laughs> <laughs> Something as simple as not having milk for cereal is sin, right? That seems inconsequential, and to a large degree it is. But this is the point, right? This is the question I want to ask you. If you were in paradise right now, do you think you would lack anything? If you were in paradise with God right now, do you do you think you would lack anything, even milk for your cereal. 
you would. You would have everything that you need. So I know I use that simple example, but think about all the people in this world who are homeless or don't have food to eat. But when you go to the store, or a lot of us are educators, and we see how much food gets thrown away or wasted. So why are there hungry people in the world when there's all this abundance, when the earth can provide everything that we need? It's because of sin. That's why there's lack in the world. Philippians 4 and 19 tells us, But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Jesus Christ. It didn't say some of your needs. It says all of your needs. Psalms 23 and 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. 2 Corinthians 9 and 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That, that she always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Scripture is clear that God will provide all of our needs. So when we don't have something, when something is wrong, it's because of sin. Right? And so this sermon is not about giving. It's about the effects of sin on our ability to be fruitful and walk in the fullness of God. Sin is a disease and it affects every system in our body. And so I need y'all to think about your physical body. I need you to think about your family unit as a body. I need you to think about your church family as a body. And then when something is not going right in your when something is not going right in your physical body, that's a result of sin. Because if you were in paradise, do you think you would have any sickness in your body? No. Right? When something is going wrong in your home, you got conflict with your mom, you got conflict with your kids, you got conflict with your spouse. If you were in paradise, do you think you would have conflict with people? No. Right? So sin is the reason that we have all of this conflict. So last Sunday, our sermon was remedy. And Jesus told us that he is, and his word is, the remedy to all our problems, to all our sickness, to all our, our issues. And so I want to, I wanna, God has me, I want to keep this sermon in the medical field. And, and what I mean by that is the, the, the scripture that I'm going to use or the narrative that I'm going to use this Sunday is about Jesus being in the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you know the story, the word says that he was in such pain that his tears were mixed with blood. He was sweating blood. And there is a medical term for that. It's called hemodrosis. I hope I pronounced that right. But it's when you are in such pain that you are literally sweating blood. So y'all got to remember now that I just told y'all that when there's any sickness in your body, it's because of what? Sin. And we all know that Jesus was without sin. But as he is preparing to take on the sins of the world, he becomes so sick. He, 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 he was not used to having sin run through his veins. 
So I'm gonna I'm gonna read I'm gonna read something to you. I did not I did not write this. This is this is like a little site that I go to for research. And I just want to read to you all like the process. So basically what I searched for was why did Jesus sweat blood? And I'm gonna read this to you all. Right? It says the night before Jesus was crucified, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke, a physician. So did y'all know that the book of Luke was written by a physician? And so that's where this narrative is contained. So that's interesting in itself that a doctor is writing this story. He's writing this record of what happened to Jesus on the night before he was crucified. Luke, a physician, recorded that Jesus' sweat was like drops of blood. And being in agony, so this is what it reads in Luke, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like, like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. That's Luke 22 and 44. Some people consider Luke's description as a mere simile. Jesus' sweat fell to the ground in large heavy drops the way blood drips from an open wound. However, there does exist a medical condition that produces the symptoms described and explains Luke's mention of blood. Hematidrosis is a rare but very real medical condition that causes one's sweat to contain blood. The sweat glands are surrounded by tiny blood vessels that can constrict and then dilate to the point of rupture, causing blood to infuse into the sweat glands. The cause of hematidrosis is extreme anguish. In the other gospel accounts, we see the level of Jesus' anguish. Right? We see stuff like, this is Matthew 26 and 38, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And what I want y'all to realize is Jesus has not even been crucified yet. It's just the thought of what he is getting ready to go through for us that has him in this pain. Right? The intense anguish and sorrow Jesus felt was certainly understandable. Being God, Christ knew all that was going to happen to him. That's John 18 and 4. He knew in painstaking detail the events that were to follow soon after he was betrayed by one of his very own disciples. So I need y'all to understand that the pain he was feeling felt before he was even, it started before he was even crucified. Because he knew what was getting ready to happen to him, and he chose to go through with it anyway. He chose to go through with it anyway. Right? Think about, like, I'm listening to these testimonies, and, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm listening to missionaries say, you know, one of the very people who stabbed her in the back, she turns around and decides to help get another job. But remember when we did the sermon on juxtaposition, when we lined up what we go through compared to what Jesus go right? So you, what you experiencing on your job is like a couple of people who being nasty, but you still got your job, and they really, you, you know, you still making it. 
But what he is experiencing is he's getting ready to carry the weight and the sin of the whole world rejecting him. And on top of that, he's taking all of this on and he's innocent. He has never done one thing wrong in his whole life. Can you say the same thing? Mm -mm. <laughs> Ooh. Glory, Jesus. So this helps you understand why Jesus is feeling all right. I forgot what we were talking about when we were, it was last Sunday, when we were talking about empathy and caring deeply about things and not only knowing what to do, but feeling, mm -hmm. feeling what other people feel. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. So he knew what was happening to him. He knew how many people had held him as Messiah only days earlier. Now would be screaming, crucify him. Luke 23 and 23. Think about that now. A couple of days before he dies, everybody is like, ooh, Jesus, ooh, you the Messiah. Ooh, Jesus, heal me. Ooh, Jesus, cure my infirmities. Ooh, Jesus, Hosea, Hosea, right? And then a couple of days later, even his very disciples, even before he is out like, even Peter denies him three times. And Jesus knew all of this stuff was going to happen before it happened. And he still went through with it. Glory Jesus. He knew he would be flogged nearly to the point of death before they pounded the metal spikes into his flesh. He knew the prophetic words of Isaiah spoken seven centuries earlier that he would be beaten so badly that he would be disfigured beyond that of any man and beyond human likeness. They beat him so bad that he didn't, he didn't even look like a human being anymore. Imagine y'all ever rolled down the road and saw roadkill and you can't tell what kind of animal it is anymore because it's been ran over so many times. They beat him that bad. And he knew once again, he knew this was going to happen to him. And he went through with it anyway. This might not connect the system matter until I get to the end. Hallelujah. Certainly these things factored into the great anguish and sorrow, causing him to sweat drops of blood. Yet, there was more. He ain't even got on the cross yet, y'all. That was before he got on the cross. Crucifixion was considered to be the most painful and torturous method of execution ever devised and was, and was used on the most despised and wicked people. In fact, so horrific was the pain that a word was designed to help explain it. Excruciate comes from the word crucifixion. It literally means from the cross. From his arrest in the garden until the time our Lord stated it is finished, scripture records only one instance where Jesus cried out in a loud voice. Matthew 27 and 46. As I said, so in all that this man is suffering, he never says a mumbling word. He never turns around and says, but God, I'm innocent. But God, I didn't do it. But God, they did this to me. 
He never turned around and accused the people that he was getting ready to save. He never said a moment word. Scripture only records him saying something one time. And listen to what he says. As our sinless Savior bore the work of the, way, of the world's sin on his shoulders, his father must have looked away. As his eyes were too pure to look on evil. This is what Jesus said. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So when he's up here on the cross, taking on the sins of the, of the whole world, he cries out, why have you forsaken me? And I want y'all to understand why God looked away. Why God the Father looked away. God the Father looks away because he hates sin. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus, who is innocent, took on all of our sin. And because he took on all of our sin, his Father in heaven abandoned him. Mm -hmm. And that's to show you that he's not a respecter of person. Mm -hmm. And that's why John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. He could have saved Jesus. But instead, of, but instead of saving Jesus, he gave Jesus. So not only is Jesus going through this physical pain, there's the spiritual pain of feeling the abandonment. And that was probably worse than the physical pain. Right? Like you can fall down and scrape your knee, but your knee heals. But if your parent abandoned you, that might be a pain. Like even though your body is healthy, that might be a pain you live with for the rest of your life. Yes. So the spiritual pain, right? After all I said, the spiritual pain of knowing that your father has turned his back on you was probably worse than what he was feeling. Because at a certain point, you you feel so much pain, you probably just pass out. So when did all of this start? So why? Why is Jesus going through all of this? Why is Jesus going through all of this? At the beginning of creation, human history began in the garden. Genesis 2 and 8. When the first Adam sinned against God in the garden, death entered the world. Genesis 3 and 6. Thousands of years later, Jesus Christ, the last Adam, 1 Corinthians 15 and 45, entered into another garden to accept the cup from his father's hand. And death was about to be swallowed up in victory. Although God's plan was designed before the creation of the world, we must never forget that his execution came at a great cost. Ultimately then, we are the ones responsible for the blood that dripped from our Savior as he prayed in the garden. He died for your sin. Sin is systematic. Sin, because of the fall, is running throughout all creation. When them straight line tornadoes came through Albany, it's because of sin. The Bible talks about the earth moaning and groaning. If we were in paradise, do you think we would have tornadoes and hurricanes and houses falling on people? Right? But like what I'm saying, people would try to make you feel that like this is, oh, that's superstition. That like, 
God is love. God wouldn't do that. No, God is the ones that's saving and sparing. And even some of the people that die in hurricanes and things like that, they can still go to heaven. Right? So that's not the end for them. But we looking like God wouldn't make that happen. God didn't. It's sin. It's our greed. It's, it's, it's us cutting down all the trees. It's our pride. It's we want to make money off of cars and, and diamonds and all of these things. And then we abuse his creation. Right? We want, we, we want more food. We want all of these things. So what do we do? We use science to, to, uh, to, to genetically engineer all of this stuff so we can produce more and then consume it on our lust. It's, it's sin. And them same hormones and all that same stuff start doing what type? Give us high blood pressure and diabetes and all of these. It's sin. So ultimately, it's us that is causing Jesus to feel how he feels. We are the reason that Jesus' soul was so overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Indeed, these bloody sweat drops came at a great cost. Let us never forget that. So, Pastor, what does this mean? When you are in a time of distress, remember that sin is ultimately the cause. Whether it's your personal sin or it's collective sin, mm -hmm. sin is the reason. But, mm -hmm. but, Romans 6 and 23 that I read at the beginning, but Jesus paid the ultimate price to destroy the system. His blood throws the system of sin. His blood is a trans is a blood transfusion. His blood ultimately dismantles the effects and the wages of sin. Jesus is the great physician. He is the ultimate remedy. Last Sunday when we did remedy and we talking about the nuggets and the wisdom and we reading the proverbs, y'all need y'all to know that the word is designed to lead you to the person. Jesus. And when you get to him, he's the great physician. So when we live in sin, we are ultimately rejecting the remedy, which is body and blood communion. So when you choose to live in sin, you disregard that whole story that I just told you. You are basically saying, I don't care that you that your body was beaten beyond recognition for me. I don't care that you got up on the cross and had these metal spikes go through your body. I don't care that I'm the cause of your father abandoning you, even though you're innocent. I don't care. That's what you're saying. And that's in the word. It says when you chew, when you know to do right and you don't do it. It's like you are crucifying him afresh every single day. We're rejecting the remedy. We're rejecting the blood and the body. So when we take communion, communion is an acknowledgement that Christ has given his body and blood in place of the punishment intended for us. So that's why I read that every time before we take communion. Because when you take communion, you are acknowledging 
that your Savior was broken and beaten for you. Jesus died for your mother. He died for your father. He died for your children. He died for your marriage. He died for your healing. He died for your happiness. He died for your freedom. From whatever it is, from whatever is binding you and holding you. He died for it. He paid the price for it. Because sin is systematic. The sacrifice had to be equivalent to the infraction. So when I say systematic, remember systematic means it runs throughout everything. Right? So the sacrifice has to be something that can cover everything. It can't just cover men because it's men, women, children, right? So whatever it is, it got to cover everything. Whatever the sacrifice Whatever is needed to fix it has to be something big enough to solve the problem of everything. That's why we can't solve the problems ourselves because it's bigger than us. You can't create world peace. You can't end hunger. You can't end homelessness. You can't end war. Only he can. So that's why if we lift him up, then we'll draw all men unto him. And if everybody had him, then all the problems would go away. Right? So we just have to start with where we are. We got to start in our house. We got to start in our church. We got to start in our city. And then if God so takes us to another place or he puts you in politics or he makes you a mayor or a governor or a president, or a business owner or whatever, or a principal or a teacher, you start right where you are. But letting people know that he died for them. And that does not always sound like a sermon. That does not always sound like a scripture. That start, that, that sounds and that looks like I'm just going to come to my job or to my house or to wherever, I'm going to work with the spirit of excellence and I'm going to love everybody. I'm going to love them so well that they turn to me and they ask me, why do you love me so well? And that's your opportunity to say, it's because Jesus loves me so well. So you don't have to be afraid to talk about it. God will open the door for you to talk about it. So because sin is systematic, the sacrifice had to be equivalent to the infraction. Because we have no righteousness, there's nothing we can offer. What we can do is our obedience is better than any sacrifice that we can offer. And the reason for that is because Jesus has already made the ultimate sacrifice. So he's not asking you to sacrifice anything else. He's just asking you to be obedient. Because Jesus is God and had no sin, his sacrifice was and still able to pay our debt. Jesus understood sin as a disease. Right? In his teaching on adultery, he ups the ante. And what I mean by that is, if y'all know anything about poker playing cards, when you up the ante, you go all in. Right? Everybody making their way, because when you up the ante, you go all in. You put all your you put all your chips in. 
So when it comes to sin, Jesus is like, you know, y'all can't pick and choose. Right? Moses gave the Ten Commandments. He said, I'm giving these Ten Commandments because, because y'all need y'all as humans, we need structure. We need we want the ten steps. We we want it broken down to us, right? But the Ten Commandments is just the starting point. Right? So when you read Matthew chapter five, and this is also a part of his Sermon on the Mount. This is the 29th verse. It says, so if your right eye causes you to sin, take it out and throw it away. It is much better for you to lose a part of your body than to have your whole body thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is much better for you to lose one of your limbs than to have your whole body go off to hell. So those are two verses, but y'all have to read the verses before that because really what Jesus is talking about is adultery. He said the word saying you commit adultery, basically you commit sin. But when he, when he up the ante, he said, but if you even look at a woman and lust in your heart, then you committed sin, right? But Jesus said if you can't live up to that standard, at least just cut off your. And think about how we deal with sickness now, how we deal with cancer now. We can't cure it, so we try to cut it out. We try to cut out the one part of it that's killing us. Or, or, or use radiation to shrink it or kill it. Right? But sometimes it comes back. It grows back again. Because the ultimate answer is we got to get rid of sin. Just cutting the cancer out, that's just a temporary solution. Because you can, you can get cured from cancer, still be in sin, get hit by a car, and go to hell. So the cancer is like, it's a bigger problem. And that's what I mean. Jesus ups the answer. He ups the ante. He wants us to know that sin is a bigger problem than we think it is. And that he is the real solution. So the same reason he gave the Ten Commandments, you say, okay, I'm going to give you these Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is like the band-aid. The Ten Commandments is like the, the like trying to cut out the little piece of cancer. You know, honor your mother and your father. Don't fornicate. Don't, you know, don't lie. Keep, keep it with the basics. But when you really get into it, sin is a much bigger problem. It's a much bigger problem. And the only remedy to fix the sin after you don't cut stuff off. Because think about what happens when you start cutting out, when you pluck out your eye, or you cut off your hand. You handicap. You alive, but you handicap. So how do you become whole again? Like what? What's a what's a better what's a better method than me having to chop all of my limbs off, or me having to lose everything? What's a better method for me being healed than having to lose everything? I want both of my eyes. I want both of my hands. What's a better method? Jesus. He can do a work or he can heal me without me having to lose. And so I close with, if you have an issue in your home, stop going in there with the scalpel. Trying to fix it in your own problem. Like, you gonna fix it. I'm gonna I'm going to put these restrictions and I'm going to cut this and I'm going to do that. You need to go directly to the great position. 
you need to go to the source. You need to pray and apply the blood of Jesus on whatever the problem is and start praying and saying, in the name of Jesus, my daughter's going to get right. In the name of Jesus, my finances are going to get right. In the name of Jesus, people are going to be healed, set free, and delivered. In the name of Jesus, my mother and father-in-law going to no longer have pain in their body. And be okay, even if that means Jesus is going to take them. But if they get out of here and they save and they don't have any more pain and no more doctor's visits and no more dialysis, then that's a good thing. But you got to start applying the blood to your problems. And everything will be all right. Amen. 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 Amen.